Welcome to another episode of Ready Teacher One. I'm Adam Mangana. And I'm Ryan McLaughlin. And with us today is Michael McDonald. Michael is the Chief Product Officer at Lingo Spaces, and he's joining us from Italy. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. No, thanks very much for the invitation. Really looking forward to this. And it's always a pleasure to talk to a fellow muck. Um, I don't know what the heritage there is, uh, Ryan, but uh, we might, we might uh, come from the same grandfather. You never know. I, my last name comes from the west coast of Ireland, so I don't know if that's... Okay. Uh, you might be Scottish. You might have some other Celtic geography going on there. But, uh, Michael, yeah. we, uh, we're excited to talk to you today. We know that you are super involved in the space of virtual reality and education, particularly when it comes to foreign languages. Um, we would love to hear from you a little bit about your background and how you got into that. Yeah, sure. So what a background is, I'm terrible at maths, physics and science, anything kind of um, right brain stuff. And, um, you know, languages has always been my game. I studied uh, German at university and um, I ended up graduating in 2008. I went into human resources and recruitment for a couple of years in one of the, I think the second largest employer in London after the police service. It was the the transport infrastructure. And after a couple of years, you know, I just remember just kind of just feeling like a cog in a massive wheel. It wasn't really what I was keen on. And I decided to come to Italy 10 years ago and um, kind of apply my passions and, you know, I believe my skills, hopefully, uh, in uh, foreign languages. And obviously, five years later, Google Cardboard came out and I was like, wow, this is incredible having studied German at university with a big paper dictionary. And now we can begin to think a little bit more spatially about how we immerse people in different contexts. You know, it's just, I've been, uh, like a, a pig in mud ever since. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I love that. So, so tell us for our listeners, you know, we, we, uh, <clears throat> our podcast has a, a range of listeners, but a lot of them are educators. Uh, mm. How do you actually deploy VR or, or immersive technology in the work that you're doing day to day? I guess there are two or three kind of strands to it. So the, the first one would be me pre-COVID literally just knocking on as many doors as possible in schools and just getting a conversation started, you know, and people that know me might realise or might know that I'm involved with the Educators in VR community, which if you don't know that anybody, check that out. It's educatorsinvr.com. Um, and, you know, it, it's fundamental, I think, at this particular kind of stage of this latest wave of technology, because, of course, it's been around for a long time, but I think, you know, this kind of latest wave um, that everybody has a say. I know it's a bit of a cliche and a romantic view, but everybody really needs to have a say in where it's directed. So to answer your question, you know, go into schools, conversation when might this technology vr in this particular instance kind of solve some of your problems or kind of leverage uh, some of the existing skills of your teachers and stuff and, and obviously help the students and try to identify that nice kind of dovetail there because it, it'd be a disaster to go into the schools and see what you already see which is a lot of ed tech gathering a lot of dust and i don't want to re be responsible for that in my part of the world so that's kind of really what i'm doing and that led to some projects where um in an italian school we set up a vr lab with some uh, oculus devices that was pre covid and that was pre-zuckerberg bombshells by the way with the uh, facebook logins but um yeah so content creation getting students involved and there's some research as well with some universities along the way you know it's Fantastic. it's interesting we we uh, typically ryan and i have uh we've had guests from all over the world but our typical guest is is viewing this from an american or north american context you mentioned oculus uh, mm -hmm. Have you noticed any differences between kind of the European perspective or, or other world perspectives on VR and an American perspective? Have you noticed any differences there? Uh, 
I need to be careful what I say because I've never uh, lived in the United States. I've, I've worked with uh, and continue to collaborate, of course, with um, people in, in the, the US. Um, you know, it's, there's a lot of stuff happening out there and you can't not bump into Americans along the way. Um, but, um, you know, I guess obviously there are kind of uh, divisions and I guess um, people are more, let's say, there's more propensity for innovation in certain parts of the world. So I guess it is true to say, and there is a stereotype, particularly in the south of Italy or parts of the Mediterranean in general, that there's, um, you know, maybe things aren't as kind of, there's not a lot of momentum in terms of innovation. You know, there's a lot of brain drain that goes on from the south of Italy to the north. And, you know, that happens all around the world in its various contexts. Um, uh, so what I can say is that coming from London, of course, a very kind of, you know, a, a vibrant city and then coming to southern Italy was a bit of a culture shock in terms of how open people are to kind of actually just getting stuck in and trying to make mistakes you know and particularly within education I think um well I could say is certainly in uh, this part of Italy it, it is sometimes a bit tough to actually find the right person to talk to about even you know the yeah there's the teachers but there's often not really a position or someone responsible sometimes for kind of driving forward innovation um, which is something I personally found. I don't know if others listeners would agree, but that's personal experience. That's fantastic. Michael, are you finding that there's a greater awareness amongst educators about the power of VR and AR um, where you're at, as opposed to some of the other geographies you might be familiar with? The reason I ask is that, you know, Adam and I have had many conversations over the last few months with educators across the United States. And um, mm. it seems like there's very little awareness in the United States about virtual reality within education circles. You know, I'll give you, for instance, um, I was speaking with a middle school principal not too long ago, and I told her that I was teaching a, a math class in VR, and she said, oh, uh, vir virtual reality, do you mean, are you teaching math in Zoom? And I was like, no, ma'am. I uh, And I showed her my quest too, and, you know, I, I kind of explained a little bit of the dynamics of the class, but um, I think that would be pretty typical of some of our experiences. So I'm wondering, you know, I, our teachers, our head teachers, our, our other educators in Italy having more conversations about virtual reality, or is there still kind of just the general lack of awareness? Yeah, you know, look, I think what you're actually introducing there, Ryan, is this, this kind of elephant in the room, which is teachers uh, and people in general, you know, it doesn't matter what profession you're in, a lot of the time, you don't have time. Uh, you don't have time to kind of break away from the madness that is the daily life. And then you go home and you've got a couple of kids to feed, you've got a cat to, not the dog to walk and a cat to feed. And, you know, it's, it's um, I think, you know, we're talking about VR, it is for some people, and you can kind of lump in AI and uh, maybe some of the kind of interesting um, tools digital tools anything really it's you need to have the headspace to kind of think about where that might fit into an educational offering and and so to answer your question i think yeah there's um a lack of knowledge about it they, and they might see some fascinating uh, kind of tv adverts you know for kind of a surgeon remotely kind of tapping into someone's kidneys or something but apart from that i think there's a lack of understanding here and actually how they might use it certainly within their daily life um you know, and look, I'll just add this. I'm not saying to them the, or saying to people that this is the only way to solve problems or that even it is going to solve the problem. I think that it's just good as an educator to think about any potential ways that might improve the way you teach, improve the way people learn, and make your life a little bit easier along the way. And VR could be that answer in some senses. That's tremendous. 
I'm wondering, you know, uh, as you try to have these conversations with educators and, you know, let's say, uh, you know, to go to your language of choice, German there, um, you know, as you're talking to a German teacher and the German teacher says, look, I, I've already got a successful routine down. I've, I've got successful students who come out conversational or maybe even fluent in German at the end of my class. Um, what, what, is, what value is VR adding to what I'm already doing? How do you answer mm -hmm. that? You, it's one of those things you have to put the headset in their hands for people to really understand. I, I know you sure. guys know that and, and many of the listeners, um, uh, you know, the, the old thing of, you know, if you've got a startup or something, if you can't sell it in 10 seconds, you'll never be able to sell it. It's kind of a truth in that in the first impressions of course count, you do have to, um, you know, uh, kind of uh, talk the talk uh, in a sense, but you know, look, I'd like to think I've got some credibility because I am a teacher of English as a foreign language. So, you know, um, I understand what it's like standing in the bricks and mortar school. You've got 30 hyperactive 16-year-olds, you know, that they, they don't want to be there. They, they're not really that interested. I don't take it personally. Maybe it is me in, in some ways. But at the end of the day, I think there's a lot of work to be done in blowing a lot of fresh air into the classrooms, whether that be virtual or um you know, physical. And so I'd answer the question really by just having a, you know, good old fashioned conversation. Where are the problems? What do you find difficult about your job? And then from that, potentially I could then introduce you, hey, VR might be able to address some of those problems. But coming back to what you said before, Ryan, you know, if they're not really open to innovation or even thinking, you know, if, if there's a bit of hard headedness, hard headedness there, then it's going to be a long, tough road. And I think particularly at this stage of you know technology you want to bring in those ambassadors people that are going to actually fly the flag for it in the right possible way you know not getting over the top but people are going to actually not make your life more difficult either yeah we've got a real problem and adam and i have talked a lot about this on this podcast um educators i think are are once bitten twice shy on a lot of ed tech mm, initiatives so yeah. i think you're hitting the nail on the head there yeah let's think so Michael, um, what do you think? Uh, what do you think the future holds? I mean, you know, obviously you're in the throes of things in 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 your current geographic context. Mm. In ten years, where are we with the adoption of VR as a learning tool? Uh, whatever, there's two answers, I guess. The one answer could be like, where are we going to be given the, you know, the onslaught of you know, kind of data and privacy questions given. The obvious, um, you know, advances that uh, Oculus slash Facebook's doing in this space, but then with the, you know, your HTCs and your Picos as well. Pico, just you know, another headset manufacturer. If people don't know, Pico Neo Three is out on the market. I think in the in the Far East, and it'll be coming to Europe. I know later this year. Um, that's got your eye tracking embedded in there. So clearly, you know, the, the hardware. Uh, improvements are going to open up a wealth of possibility. I think that um, if I talk specifically about my field and, you know, uh, language learning or foreign language learning within um, uh, or foreign language learning, full stop, I I'd like to think, you know, where what are the existing problems in how uh, technology is addressed and how technology can address that. And then where would I like to see, or where do I see it going from that? I personally would love to see your tactile thing, your, your sense of touch, a lot more of that going on, because if you're in an English language exam or a Spanish Portuguese exam, whatever language, you need to have an ability to express deeply with vivid 
vocabulary and, you know, a kind of a command of the language um, to express maybe, you know, going out for a, for a, a dinner or, you know, you bought a souvenir in a shop when you were traveling as a tourist. These are classic questions and things you need to talk about when talking a foreign language and also for real life as well. So I want sense of touch. I want sense of smell. You know, I want the social interaction as well, where it's fundamental. You know, I think we shouldn't downplay the beauty of VR in particular is its social element. And, you know, we know from the research that, you know, that's where those good critical thinking comes out. That's where the metacognitive kind of, oh, that's why I made that mistake. Or, you know, you can refine those deeper level skills and we need to keep that. Absolutely. Michael, tell us a little bit about Lingo Spaces. Uh, I know that you're a new organization. Tell us about your mission, what you're accomplishing and all that good stuff. Yeah, so, well, Lingo Spaces is, let's call it the WebXR branch of the madness that's in my head that I kind of splurt out onto the internet. Now, um, so just to kind of take a bit, a step back, if people don't know me, um, I'm, uh, I teach English as a foreign language, done that for 10 years, five years with VR, but I run Gold Lotus, uh, that's goldlotus.co, little plug there, sorry, but that's a consultancy. No, by all means, promote away. Yeah, which, which helps people, uh, it kind of supports schools and universities in particular understand how to use this technology within their language learning offerings. But Lingo Spaces, there's no doubt about the accessibility is key to this as well. So coming back to Adam's question, actually, what do I want to see? I want, you know, of course, cheaper hardware, but also options which are going to be aligned to, you know, uh, people that can't get onto the, you know, the headsets or maybe even other stuff that's, you know, built into the hardware that's going to take account of people's religious headwear or, you know, particular head sizes, shapes, all this type of stuff is fundamental. So Lingo Spaces, WebXR, um, it's a partnership alongside Matt Cool. If people don't know him, go and check out his work. That's C-O-O-L, it's his surname, Matt Cool. Um, he's a WebXR developer. He and I teamed up. We, pr- we put together Lingo Spaces, which is using Mozilla Hub's and um, it's effectively creating these kind of pre-baked, ready-made spaces for language teachers to not worry about the kind of the, the learning curve of creating their own 3D interactive spaces. But we do the hard work for them. They can rent them, use them um, for their language teaching. But there's a lot of pedagogy behind it as well. So the students are actually taking on a journey in the space to build up their language and then apply it in the end stage. And we've got a cinema up and running now if people want to go and check that out. That's tremendous. Uh, WebXR guys, talk to me about that. I mean, Adam, you, that, that, that for me, like particularly the ability with Mozilla Hubs, the ability to get students creating stuff as well, that is like, that has got to be like, you know, going forward, not just about consuming this tech, but getting people's hands, getting, you know, creating stuff as well. Well, you, you, you must be uh, reading my mind because... <clears throat> You know, obviously the highest order of thinking is to create. And, and so part of that value proposition is curating and creating amazing content. Where, yeah. where do you think we are, Michael, in terms of uh, post-pandemic actually having a school or, 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 or full educational programming in virtual reality? So how far are we away from, you know, Ready Player One School or Ready Teacher One, the podcast, actually being applied in places like Europe where kids are only attending school online in the metaverse in virtual reality. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that um, we should have had a podcast just on that one question alone because that, that is a beefy one. Um, I think um, 
Okay, well, uh, we said that we spoke about the kind of differences in Italy, North America, maybe other countries around the world. And it's really interesting you guys are kind of asking me about that because it's not, um, you know, I talk a lot, probably too much about my work and um, nobody's ever really drilled down into the kind of the real geographical kind of uh, questions there. But um, in Italy, uh, in the north, the, people need to check out the work being done by this, um, it's like a campus, They call, it's called H Farm and... Um, they were an incubator, like startup uh, support services for 15 years. And they actually, um, uh, they supported an app, uh, a team which actually was bought by $1.6 billion. I'll repeat that, $1.6 billion by Etsy. Wow. Uh, it's a fashion um, app. But um, so they're very proud about that at the moment. But what they're doing, and to kind of answer your question, they've got this really blended learning approach. And I can't share too much about this, but I think that's really where we've got to go, you know, at the moment is not um, over for selling the potential of VR because, you know, at the end of the day, and I know, and I'm sure you know, there are things that really can't do very well. Um, in particular, talk about languages, you know, the writing aspect of learning a language is it's really kind of cumbersome to develop writing skills in VR at the moment. Um, so there are things it can't do, but, uh, you know, there, I think campuses, if we imagine a Ready Player One school, it needs to, I think, you know, really try to dovetail uh, what works already, what we know works in the physical realm and leverage off that to create something even better thanks to the vehicle that is technology. Um, and, uh, um, you know, that's basically what's happening to universities at the moment, isn't it? You know, universities, as was highlighted by a recent LinkedIn article I saw by Mario Beresovic. Um, people should check that out. He's at Emerge Education in London. Um, you know, he basically said that universities' uh, offerings have been distilled into Zoom calls, you know, and how do they differentiate themselves now? I think that's the big question. And um, you know, hopefully technology can help us to, to improve that in a more blended learning fashion. Michael, on the uh, on the university front, or, or even I guess on the secondary school front, um, who's doing the best job in your mind of implementing this technology for their foreign language programs? Is anybody that you see or anybody that you know uh, doing particularly interesting work in that regard? Yeah, I've got to give a big shout out to Georgian College in um, Barry, I think it is in Ontario, Canada. Um, okay, uh, Rob. He's going to kill me for, I can't pronounce his surname, but I'll spell it. It's T-H-I-E-R-A-U-L. I think it's Terio is how you pronounce that. But you've got to check out the work of Georgian College. They did an Indigenous languages learning space. So there's um, a particularly Indigenous language in their part of Canada. What they did in Engage by Immersive VR Education, um, real-time platform, you can meet with people uh, anytime, any any place. They created this kind of, um, this, this house and uh, they had this uh, burn burning fire and this uh, medicine wheel, they called it. And it's all things kind of harking back to the traditions and the cultural heritage of this particular indigenous group um, in Canada. And there were these um, uh, kind of buttons that you could press to hear the natural pronunciation of real people from that community. So what we did, we, we actually met in that space for an Educators in VR event. We got a tour of the space. We spoke to a lady who was in her 80s. She was a village elder of that uh, particular group and she shared some of her stories. And that's what it's all about. We said the social interaction before, that being able to use the technology for people to access 24-7 and potentially resurrect, you know, dying uh, languages. Uh, which is exciting. That's tremendous. I, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast about the power of VR to 
democratize education and to empower folks that have been marginalized, um, empower mm. communities that have been uh, left on the margins for far too long. And, and what you've just given us is a really concrete example of taking, like you said, a dying language and empowering the folks to keep their cultures and keep their traditions alive. Um, yeah. That, I think, if, if you're not excited by that, then you probably don't belong in the education space, in my opinion. No, no you're right. You know, I think... Um, just following on from that, you know, I, I was never interested in history. Uh, you know, it just didn't really, it didn't interest me so much. And I think it was because it seemed very distant. And I know you could go to wonderful places, you know, certainly in Europe, you can go to Berlin now, which is, you know, you can still see, uh, you know, parts of the Berlin Wall standing and stuff like this. History is around us everywhere. But I think... Um, what really led me into liking history a lot more, appreciating it, was doing my family history, like understand, going back through the, the past. Because I don't know why it just interests me, but through that, I then kind of built an understanding of the local history, where they lived, how much you paid for a loaf of bread, etc. I think a lot of the time, if we can kind of connect quite abstract concepts to the individual peoples, um, and then we can really achieve some pretty amazing things. And where at the moment, and uh, as I mentioned, that indigenous language, you've got literally a handful of people now that speak it in their community. Who knows in the future, it might inspire other people to map out or think how they might be able to save their kind of dying aspects of their own cultural heritage using the technology. So the potential is massive. But. Absolutely. And I, and I think that that's a powerful example too of a, of a point that we don't touch on often enough, which is that, you know, folks tend to view technology as, homogenizing culture right as as flattening everything out as as making everyone the same you know there's i don't know if you know the famous uh james harriet story where supposedly you know uh after the advent of television came along people came and asked him like where are all these interesting people that you write about and he said they're all gone and ever since tv they're all the same now right wow, um yeah. and, but you know what you're highlighting with this story i think is that this technology far from you know, being a force of homogenization is actually empowering folks to keep their uniqueness and, and their identities alive. Yeah, but it is it is hard graft, you know. Like I, I'm, sure. I'm not going to pretend it. I'm, I'm effectively a one-man army where what I'm doing. I'm self-employed. It, it, it get out the little violin now and shed some tears. But it, <laughs> it is not, um, it, especially when COVID came along, it's like, um, now what? But um, I think look, it, it's the end of the day, if people are... Um, as you said, you know, interested in education, they, they, there's no excuse why they can't kind of um, forge new ground. And I really think that at the end of the day, um, whether it's VR, whether it's AR, AI, whatever it is, actually, it could just be one of these cursed uh, electronic whiteboards that people complain a lot that have been rolled out into many schools. It doesn't matter what it is. It just could be a fancy pen. As long as it inspires people and actually gives them a reason to get passionate about teaching or learning, I think, you know, that's the most important thing. So it gives them the an excuse to be better teachers and learners. I think that's what I like about VR. It gives us a good excuse. That's tremendous. Uh, there we go. Um, what do you I think about what do you think about social VR, Michael, versus mm. the standalone experiences? Uh, and what are some of your favorite social VR platforms? So, <laughs> Alt Space is one of. Um, I, I thought I'd experienced complete and utter lunacy on Alt Space until I went to Rec Room one day, and it was. Um, I'm still having nightmares about that. I don't know what was going on. I can't explain wow. it, but um, I was in a room with lots of hyperactive 
people uh, just I don't I don't I couldn't explain it and they were talking English but old space is great because it, you've got this high footfall you know like particularly for me as an educator um, yeah I work in schools but I also you know like to offer the services and you know uh, I do a lot of free stuff online and uh, you know crafting my trade in virtual reality old space you've got a great events program you can set up an event hopefully get it featured you've got a lot of people that you don't know who's going to turn up whereas other platforms such for example Rumi, which I don't know if people know about that by Doghead Simulations, you know, um, no disrespect to them, they're, they're not social VR, but it's a lot more closed and it's a bit more difficult to kind of just hoover up here passing people. But um, all space is great, love that for that. Yeah, you know, the big ones, Mozilla Hubs, um, Engage, I mentioned that before. Those are my favourite ones. But um, I think the more I get involved, you know, the more I'm kind of going down this road, for me, it's really about cutting deeper beyond the wow factor and now the how factor. How can we get students after nine months passing tests, keeping parents happy, getting into jobs, universities? And I think I come back to it's the content creation stuff. And to jump into a space that your student has created is um, it's a pretty heartwarming experience. Oh, 100%. It's the, uh, you know, the, the child bringing home the arts and crafts project, but on steroids, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, just let them loose. There was a castle here in southern Italy, for example, and um, we're doing a project with the school here. And the, the topic was create something that promotes your local cultural heritage and tourism. He couldn't find the castle, this young guy. So he... Um, he actually built it, but I didn't realize it. I thought he'd pulled it off of Sketchfab or something. And he was like, no, I built it. You know, it's that type of initiative as well that you see coming out when you move people away from the textbooks or away from the kind of, you know, one glove fits all educational approach and VR offers you, of course, that. I've got, we've been evangelizing about this for 26 minutes and I've got a few <laughs> horrors. I know that's that's your podcast. That's great. But, um, there's also, you know, like, um, feel free to cut me off I've, I've had a few horror stories as well and i'm interested to know what your kind of where you find it hard to sell the you know vr can or ar can solve these particular problems what, what would you say about that guys boy that's a great question adam you want to take a stab at that first or yeah you want me to go ahead well i'll let you i'll certainly let you go first but i definitely have an answer i would share oh my goodness well uh, you know, what popped into my mind immediately when you asked that question, Michael, is uh, Adam and I had an experience a while back where we were asked to uh, to train a couple of second grade teachers um, in, in using some VR headsets. And, uh, you know, they brought their classes down and we fully expected it to be uh, us showing them how to do it. And slowly but surely, they sort of stepped back into the background and it became Adam and I teaching the class and leading all of the VR experiences <laughs> in the Oculus headsets. Um, and I think that what that speaks to is maybe, um, you know, back to a point we made previously, there, there's sort of the once bitten twice shy effect with a lot of ed tech initiatives, you know, mm -hmm. um, over the course of my career as a teacher and administrator, I, have seen many uh, next great things come along, right? Many waves mm. of technology have come along promising to change everything forever. Uh, we're never going back to the way things are. It lasts for a school year. Sometimes it only lasts for a semester. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, to, I, to use a phrase I think you used earlier, then it sits in the school collecting dust, right? <laughs> um, and so I think that there's a real skepticism and a real lack of willingness to invest the time, which, as we said earlier, time is precious, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that what we've got to do, and, you know, 
part of the point of evangelizing VR in this podcast so much um, is we've got to convince folks that this time that it's actually what's good for students. It's actually what's right for students. It's what's right for classrooms. It's what's right for teachers. Um, and so I, I think that that's, you know, to, to answer your question, that's kind of the first horror story that popped into my mind. And, and I think it speaks to a lot of the points that we've raised here. Yeah. Adam, what's your answer, my friend? Well, you know, I think um, one of the ways that VR can often be deployed or, or, or um, people expect for it to be deployed is as an empathy machine. And so, you know, VR in some circles, people are, are, are accurately skeptical, but in other circles, people, to your earlier point, can use it very heavy handedly. Like identity is the most immovable force in the universe. And so to try to say, that because I put you in 1968 Memphis from the perspective of sanitation worker during Martin Luther King, that you no longer will have uh, racist views or you no longer will uh, hold opinions about that historical context. You know, VR doesn't solve everything, but it is in fact a tool. And I think uh, my perspective is that oftentimes um, we, we, we don't really understand where VR fits in a larger context. I think the real innovation will happen as VR is deployed on top of other technologies. So I think about the intersection between virtual reality and blockchain, being able to trust each other as avatars in the metaverse and a social VR experience. I think mm -hmm. those things will solve some of the current problems. And I think the other thing that, that I would say, you know, maybe it's dramatic to say it's a horror story is we, as Americans often think linearly, like I'm either pro VR or against VR. I'm either right, I'm either left. And so, you know, um, VR marries nicely to a, uh, an online experience and some kind of micro school. And so it doesn't have to be, I'm just gonna have school in the metaverse. It can be when I need to go to Italy when I need to hack space and time, I'm gonna use the best tool for that. When I need to write a, an amazing poem, I'm gonna use the best tool for that. Please guys, everyone who's listening, don't use VR as a thousand dollar pencil. That's right. If you haven't learned anything from this podcast, that's right. You know, <laughs> use VR to do what VR does. And let's, let's be uh, human about this. Uh, it isn't gonna solve, uh, it isn't gonna solve for world peace. But it is, uh, it's great to take, you know, kids who might be incarcerated, bring them into class and not have them have to wear and live into that, uh, you know, that, that context that they bring in reality. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Um, the, see, what you said there, really, um, I've got to give a big shout out to the Ethos Lab, if anybody um, is familiar with that. Again, a group out in Canada. Um, Anthonia and Nigel are doing some great work with local communities there. And what we did, we connected to the Italian students to them to uh, talk about uh, WebXR and um, uh, and it was great. And, you know, the, the ability to connect people through space and time is great. Um, obviously, people might say, oh, yeah, but you could do that on Skype or Zoom, like we're kind of doing now. But I think the multimodality of VR is something that is a real kicker because you've got the video, you've got, you can, you can answer something, you know, you've got the kind of written stuff, you've got the listening, you've got the observation, you've got the taking part. It's stuff that is... I can't see anything yet that really ticks all of those boxes unless you gather people physically, but obviously there are limitations there. What you said there, Adam, about Martin Luther King, you know, it, that is the particular example. You're absolutely right. And I think, um, you know, I appreciate time's running short now, but I'd say this is that 
look, if you gave me a tennis racket and a packet of Pringles and a red pen and said these three things would help you teach better than the VR headset, I'd put the VR in the cupboard and I'd let that gather some dust. For me, it's about what, what is the vehicle here to take us, yes, in that particular path of learning a language, in my case, better or teaching it, but also... You know, how can we use this to generate a greater momentum, just an, an open-mindedness in general, so that we do, and you're going to hate me for saying this, but maybe sometime in the distant future, we, we politely put the VR things back in the boxes or in our little glasses case uh, or take out the contact lenses. And we are, have, have so vividly dovetailed the virtual with the physical. We've spoken to community members of that community who lived during that time after seeing what it was like 50 years ago. And we get to a point where we don't, where we no longer even need this in a certain sense. Do you see what I'm saying there? Um, You're absolutely right, Michael. I think uh, we have to, and, and this is true of any sort of education initiative, right? We have to keep the ends and the means clearly separated in our minds. And we have to be very, very clear with ourselves and with our communities about which is which. Um, completely agree with you there. Michael, we like to end the show with a segment that we call the Furious Five. This is just going to be five sort of get to know you kind of questions that don't necessarily have anything to do with what we've been talking about today. Uh, they're just for fun. Uh, we encourage rapid fire answers, but you know, if we need to elaborate, we need to elaborate here. So without any further ado, the first question of the Furious Five, what's the best TV show or movie that you've watched recently? Uh, a few years ago, it was her with Joaquin Phoenix, the, you know, the relationship that one builds up, but it was also, um, it really got me that it uh, moments lumps in my throat. It was, it was quite a kind of somber type of thing. And uh, you can kind of see life going that way in a certain sense. Um, very clean, very polished, but missing the soul and humanity. Joaquin Phoenix is a tremendous actor. That's a oh, great yeah. answer. Yeah. Um, second question. What's the best meal you've eaten recently? I'm in Italy. I said, I can't answer that this year. Um, uh, the best meal, I tell you, um, it's uh, it's got to be a good old plate of uh, spaghetti and uh, mussels. It's simple. It's, you know, local ingredients. It's done right. And I tell you, it it's all in the olive oil quantity. It's all in the kind of little bit of pepper on the top, right salt. It's not easy to cook a plate of pasta, people. Um, and I certainly didn't cook it. That's it. Attention to detail. Question number three of the Furious Five. Who is a thought leader that our listeners should stop what they're doing right now and either go follow on social media or watch a TED Talk by or buy a book from um, who's a thought leader that our listeners need to be paying attention to? So it has to be, I think, Laurel Van Fossen. There are a number of people here that I, I would obviously suggest. So that this lady is the co-founder of Educators in VR. Um, no disrespect to the other co-founder, Daniel Dabosky Bryan. Um, I think I just have more dealings with Laurel. Go and check her out, Laurel Van Fossen. She um, embodies everything I think that is needed in this time of you know, just communication. She's a great listener. She offers great advice when's needed. And she's she was one of the kind of earliest people who started blogging in the very early days. And she's seen it all, done it all. And I think people need to go and check out her work over there. Fantastic. Question number four. Uh, what is the best book that you've ever read? That's a great question. And this, despite everything I've tried to say, um, I'm not a great reader. I'm really like, I'm actually quite, um, 
I really should read more. It's one of my weaknesses. I see people like Alvin Wang Grayling on um, LinkedIn over at HTC there in Beijing. He is just absolutely gobbles books up uh, for breakfast, lunch and dinner. I don't know how he does it. I, I lack the patience. I feel like I have to be doing something. I think you've seen already I'm quite hyperactive. And um, But I would say one of the books recently would have to be probably Human Intelligence and Machine Learning by Rose Luckin. Uh, 2018, I think it was published. It's about how we think about what intelligence is and not confusing knowledge with intelligence because we are bombarded with data and numbers. Fantastic answer. The last question of the Furious Five really belongs to Adam. We like to call it the contrarian question. So at this point in the show, I always turn the mic back over to him. Adam, take it away. Michael, you seem to have a lot of uh, connections in the AR, VR education space. What do you know to be true about uh, virtual reality for learning language that your colleagues would disagree with you on? Oh, my God. These, these are great questions that my colleagues would disagree with me on. So um probably the social element so when when we talk about colleagues who would they be there would be people in the bricks and mortar schools the people that i often speak to i'd say they they would say that it's not that important maybe or i don't have the time to connect people with other people around the world i'd say it's your number one priority um particularly for learners that kind of peer-to-peer -peer learning is fundamental we need to push harder on that love it michael thank you so much for being on with us today uh where can our me. listeners find you on social media at Gold Lotus Co. on Twitter, and I'm on LinkedIn, Michael McVR. Change my name. Thank you so much, Michael. <laughs> it's been so much fun to talk to you today. Uh, Thanks, guys. Love we'll it. have to come join you for a plate of pasta sometime soon over there in Italy. Sure. Yeah, you we'll know, get COVID out of the way. Michael, you know I need that $1 house over there. You know I'm trying to get that <laughs> yeah, $1. I'm not, I'm not giving you a baby. <laughs> Look, you can't, you can't buy, you, 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 you actually can buy a $1 house in, in VR, but. I think the ones in Italy are going to be a little bit cooler.